1: Welcome to the Midside, where looking at someone is not a personal foul. I'm your host, Justin M. Lezneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. I am at the tail end of a literal trip. My cousin got married in the Bahamas, so I spent the last few days there, then flew home early this morning so I could watch the Patriots Miami game so Sort of a lot going on I guess in the In the tropical sense There Uh, It's interesting how there's an entire Island where it just seems like Exorbitant amounts of Money are spent on just daily Everyday average things you get Two cheeseburgers Some fries and a couple Drinks and it's $75 That Blows my mind but of course that's like LA Prices
0: that's Santa Monica prices that, is it,
1: or is that higher than L.A. prices? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it is higher. It is higher. It feels higher. I don't know. I, I assume maybe that's what Hawaii is like. It's so, it, it was a resort called the Baja Mar, where they have uh, the biggest casino in the in the Caribbean, the Caribbean, however you want to say it. I don't care, tomato, tomato. Uh, so it was sort of like Vegas for the East Coast. I don't know. A lot of interesting stuff. I don't know if I'll we'll ever go back. But I survived. I made it back. I, I got through the... Exorbitant amount of penalties that were called in the Patriots game, including, as you heard me refer to, uh, a wide receiver stopped an interception by hitting a defender very hard. And then when he stood up, he looked at the guy for a second and then walked away and they threw a flag calling that taunting. Uh, So I I don't know. I feel like we have to disavow everything because everything we say is mean nowadays. So that was my literal trip. Let's go on our metaphorical trip. Joining me for it from his corner office, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. And, William, something I want to say to you is, People were asking this weekend who was ranked number two in college football, and I stood up for Michigan, not because I particularly support Michigan, <laughs> but they saw Ohio State was three, and they knew Georgia was one, and they were like, who's number two? And I was like, Michigan. And they're like, no, it can't be Michigan. And I was like, it's Michigan. And then it popped up on the TV, Michigan number two.
0: Yes, hello, hello. Yeah, number two. We had a bye this week, so um, hopefully we'll stay number two. But, uh, man, there's still more drama going on, more uh, – coach drama like i don't know exactly what's going on it's i feel like i i pay attention on on saturdays to the games right and then there's all this other stuff that's going on so uh, maybe they're uh, trying to prevent this uh uh michigan renaissance uh, that's uh coming on right now it feels like uh, a little bit of uh, deflate gate bullshit but i don't know justin i'm going to have to start paying attention i think to figure out exactly what's going on
1: well i think you hit the nail on the head with the deflate gate comment, because once we went through deflate gate, I don't think we have the tolerance for any of this other stuff anymore. And I also think it's as we're getting older, all we care about is the actual football on the field. So, with those two factors combined, I don't think we ever really know what's going on, which is unfortunate because we also learned through deflate gate that people try to use means off of the field in order to get ahead, which is. Very, very tragic. But I yeah. think that speaks to a lot of the farce this week, doesn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. It sure does.
1: Oh, I thought you'd say more about that. You want to just... Oh, no. Right I'm I'm,
0: I'm chomping at the bit. Yeah. We
1: got glory holes he, on the agenda. I can't wait. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. It's because he's gay and we're talking about glory hills that he's chomping at the bit here. Although, would you want someone to be chomping at the bit for <laughs> no, Hopefully hole? not. I don't know. Hopefully not. <laughs> I'm, too, I'm too straight for this. Let's head into it in. And when I say head into it, I don't mean into a glory hole. In life on the Midside.
0: Take a good look this like stupor, we just I hope you throw up your hands and sing it and tell five. all the haters that they should just shut up and smile.
1: Yeah. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so. Through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode, Locals is per month. That's the Midside.com slash Patreon or the Midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including and perhaps most of all, affirmations. Our first bit of farce here is a continuation of what was teased or hinted at last week. It is the Techno Optimist Manifesto. Uh, William feels really good about this story, has strong opinions about the story. So I'm going to let him tell you all about it and maybe inform me about what the farce is because William, let me just frame it with a question. Sure. Isn't this what Rand has written about when she talked about uh, Return of the Primitive and what Daniel has talked about and now more famously Alex Epstein has talked about where they talked about people who are anti-progress and mm-hmm. Anderson here, the person who wrote it, Andresen, however you Andresen, pronounce yeah. it, this is a very Swedish name. Uh, isn't he just taking the perspective that we share that we should be optimistic about technology, that it's a good thing, that yeah. the Industrial Revolution was a good thing?
0: Yeah, I think it is. So let's let's talk about it a little bit. So Mark Andreessen on the 16th of October published uh the techno optimist manifesto and the story that we link to is is actually funny because it's like uh it's uh, uh venture beat which uh is always has interesting leanings the picture they choose is some sort of like communist looking uh uh picture with a uh, telegraph on it and here's like let's get into their take and we'll, then we'll, well see what the, it is communist probably because they use of the word manifesto can we just
1: put a embargo on using the word manifesto <laughs> from now on like what is this guy like confessing or what is he like professing here i, do, I don't i don't think manifesto is
0: the the right
1: word well, anyway, yeah, maybe.
0: So it says here, Mark Andreessen, the co-founder of the venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, and he's also one of the co-founders uh, of Netscape back in the day. That's what, where they made all their money. Um, uh, on Monday, published a defiant, provocative blog post. He calls the techno-optimist manifesto. Um, oh. The manifesto uh, has apparently grandiose rhetoric and lofty uh, ideals functions as a sharp rebuke of critics who worry about the social, economic and political impacts of rapid technology change, most recently fueled by the AI boom. Um, In the manifesto, Andreessen writes, we are being lied to. We are told that technology takes our jobs, reduces our wages, increases inequality, threatens our health. Uh, ruins the environment, degrades our society, corrupts our children, impairs our humanity, threatens our future, and is ever on the verge of ruining everything. Andreessen later argues that only per- the only perpetual source of growth is technology. Um, the manifesto also sidesteps the critical question of accessibility. <laughs> Haven't we done that a lot, Justin? Uh, so who has access to the benefits of technology and who does not? All right. So that the farce here is really in this take of this story. Like if we look at the actual, like what this, what what's in here, like you said, this is nothing really new. This is stuff that, that, you know, Rand wrote about way back in the day, right? Maybe the only thing that, uh, is, is, uh, new and interesting here is the calling out of ESG and, and other things. Um, it's definitely got some flaws in it. Uh, you know, it, it's not got the best takes on, like, the environmental side. Um, it doesn't really cut to the actual issue here, which is really, we always talk about it being a philosophical moral issue, right? Um, but I like the section when we have uh, that. I wanted to read one of the sections because I thought it was really interesting. So, uh, the enemy. So, it says, we have enemies. Our enemies are not bad people, but rather bad ideas. I would kind of disagree with that one, Justin. I don't know what what you would say. Um, Our present society has been subjected to mass demoralization campaign for six decades against technology and against life under the varying names like existential risk, sustainability, ESG, sustainable sustainable development goals, social responsibility, stakeholder uh, capitalism, uh, precautionary principle, trust and safety, tech ethics, risk management, degrowth, and the limits on growth. So, Justin, what do you think about those list of enemies? Doesn't it sound like the midsider list of, uh, of, of enemies when it comes to the business world?
1: Well, yeah, and that's what I find so interesting about this. Because to me, it's as if somebody got to the one-yard line and is unable to punch the ball over the goal line. And what I mean by that, William, is you said that he's unable to point out that this is a moral issue. When... Isn't that what the other side does all the time? Isn't he presenting the counterpoint to the side saying that this is about bad people destroying the world? And then he's turning around and saying, well, it's not about that. So what, yeah. what is he trying to do? Argue purely pragmatically? It doesn't I, work that way.
0: Well, it doesn't. And, and I want you to know in his list of, uh, so he has a list of patron saints of techno optimism Guess who's in that list, Justin? Alex Epstein. Uh, I wish I don't, I don't see him in here. Do you know who I do see? <laughs> John Galt. Really? Yes. I mean,
1: I guess fictionally the idea of the, the motor is the hypothetical idea of the perpetual motion device. Is it not?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the other farce here is, and this is something that is maybe a little bit too technical in some ways, but it will, uh, hopefully it'll make sense. You know, uh, a sixteen Z, this firm has been responsible for more of the shitcoin bubble, right? The whole crypto uh, bubble and scams than any other uh, investment firm, right? And so it it's not all uh, uh, rainbows and uh, and optimism, right? There's there's th- th- this m- this misunderstanding of uh, of money and misunderstanding of morality is having a real effect, but I would say overall. This is good, right? I I think this is something good to engage with. I think uh we'll post I know we'll post the link to the story in the show notes. I've already posted in Discord the link to the blog post which, you know, you should read it unfiltered and kind of come to your own um own conclusion. But there's a lot of good stuff in here. It's a good summary, but I guess the other question I have for you Justin is will this make a difference, right? Uh this see this sounds like the Silicon Valley that I dreamed about in high school but has been dead for 25 years i don't know
1: if that's an interesting uh, question because i don't i don't know how to answer it i don't know if i can answer it because i am at a loss to know what actually makes a difference nowadays even to pivot a little bit the barbie movie i don't know if that actually made the difference the left thinks it made or if it was just a fad or did it make a difference because it's a slight normalization of ideas through modern meming? Entertainment has essentially just become modern memeing, and entertainment was arguably the first memeing that gets into the collective subconscious in the long run. Whereas this, this is just sort of old man yells at clouds, isn't it? I mean, you said the guy, how old is the guy? Because you said the guy invented Netscape Navigator, sorry, Netscape. I was thinking. Remember when people used to call it Netscape Navigator? Yes, yes. Yeah, he invented he invented Netscape Navigator, did he not? You said yeah. that. Yeah. So how old is he?
0: Uh, let's see, fifty-two. 52 <clears throat> he's so he's not that Old. Yeah. But in... so he co—technically, he co-founded Mosaic, which eventually became Net- Netscape. So.
1: Okay. So Prozac, which became Nutscrape, uh, <laughs> exactly. I don't know what if that was the original joke people made about Mosaic, but Mosaic, that's really nerdy for people to remember that. It's that's just, it's, it's hard, yeah. it's hard to know what makes a difference anymore, especially he's coming from, again, what you said, the, the key point here is the idea that he's not making the moral point and it's the question you yeah. asked. Well,
0: and and it's funny that critics versus that, bad people. Yeah, yeah, right. it's funny what the critics point out too. So, like, uh, here's Ben Collins, uh, you know, eminent uh, luminary, uh, Mark Andreessen, who runs one of the biggest Silicon Valley venture capital firms, wrote a manifesto today labeling social responsibility and tech ethics uh, teams the enemy. His firm recently pivoted from uh, crypto Web three to American military and defense contractor technology. So, I. If anything, it should be praised that they're leaving uh, Web three and the crypto scam behind and finally doing something more productive. I wouldn't necessarily uh, say military defense contractor necessarily productive as such, but I think what they're criticizing here is their move more towards AI and manufacturing and other things. So uh, yeah, it's it's I, I think that even the critics are missing the point. Another person um, uh, called it uh, mixing. Socially reactionary politics with hyper nationalism. <laughs> yeah, all those enemies were uh, were outside of America,
1: right? <laughs> Well, that's because they can only fit it in their collectivist bubble. So they assume someone yeah. saying this must be acting nationalistically because they think their their opposition side is the country and the culture as a whole and that anyone who supports it has to be a nationalist. That's how it translates in their brain. And yeah. that's the problem is these are conversations where they're missing each other. We're one side saying bad people and the other side saying bad ideas. But to your point, William, which I think is what you're saying is, Bad ideas can only be enacted by bad people. It's the same bad idea that a gun in yeah. it itself is not... Yep. Right. It, it, bad, guns, can, guns in themselves are not good or bad. It's their use that's bad. Now, ideas are bad, but for whatever reason, whether a person has you know bad logic, bad intentions, bad psychology, it's only a bad person who's going to use them. So it's much more effective to point out that, hey, these are bad people. And I think that... The rest of the farce for this week sort of points to that. How, William, how are people not making the specious argument, which even though it is specious in the sense that it seems correct, it actually is correct. It doesn't just seem correct, it is correct. And in that sense, when it seems correct and is correct, how are you not using the easy slam dunk argument? Yeah. I mean, they try and say, go woke, go broke. It's not the go woke, go broke. It's the, I don't even have a, a flashy way of saying it. It's just that when you throw in with terrible people, the normal average person doesn't want to deal with them. Yeah. So, so the first other bit of farce is the glory holes thing we were talking about. And this is something in Europe. So this is at a school in Germany, students at the University of Augsburg. Is that how I say that, William?
0: I, I don't know, but we should have we should have withheld the Germany and asked if it was, uh, you know, Germany or Florida. You know, that's the old joke, right? You, you know, you always talk about the Florida man made up stories. Would this uh, news story, would would the media also write this news story about Florida versus Germany? But I don't think it would work for Florida. I think in this case, it would have to be something like L.A. or Germany, right?
1: Yeah, or Seattle or Seattle San Francisco or, or yeah, something. Exactly. I mean, you could have told me anywhere in Europe, except maybe Poland, but maybe I'm just biased. I think
0: if Eastern Europe <laughs> Yeah, any is, Eastern Europe. this This wouldn't fly in Eastern Europe, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I don't think it would fly in Italy either. They're far too Roman Catholic for that. Anywhere where the Catholic Church still has a foothold, I don't think you could get away with something like this. But if you had told me England or... Holland slash the Netherlands, whatever word you want to use, I would have believed it. All
0: right, well, we got to let people in on this. Well, I don't. I think I interrupted you reading the headline.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know if I want to let people in on this, but phrasing here, William. So the you're trying to keep at, it for yourself. That's not what I meant either. So students at University of Augsburg, Augsburg, A U G S burg, B U R G, call for glory halls to be installed in lecture halls site benefit to queer community. So I'm going to read a little bit here.
0: Hold on. I got I, I to disavow this right away. Gay, not queer. i always point that out. I think it's on my dating profile. No, so. <laughs> not me, Justin. <laughs>
1: so I think it's important to point out here that this is students. And I want to keep in mind here, William, the idea that I always say that if you look at England, you can see where we're headed. If we're not careful in this country, I think it can be applied to this story as well. And it's the idea that, Students are allowed to make suggestions for changes to their school, which on its face is not a bad thing. However, we have to point out the bad people that are making this suggestion. So here's some I'm going to read from the article. An application for three glory holes to be installed in a lecture hall was submitted by a group of students reading three glory holes are to be in the lecture hall. Center opposite the entrance. These should be built by the Department of Space and Construction and maintained by building management. And then it continues with a list of specifications for the installation. The glory holes should be soundproof and opaque. The amount of thought they put into this. Is this. I don't like. Part of me wonders if this submission was just like a sex game for them. Like it turned them on to write this and picture this happening. It's like a fantasy.
0: Justin, this is like the. You know, they had to make nursing stations everywhere, right, and, and as part of ADA compliance, right? Well, right. Like, all, all the, businesses above a certain size all of a sudden needed right. to have special spaces just for nursing. nursing well, others. this is the
1: continuation
0: of that. Yeah, yeah that's obviously. that's what they're claiming, obviously. essentially, right? So, nope. we don't have to go into the Women details are, of what they Women aren't the only person that need to be milked. Right. Very good. Very good. Thank you.
1: The students are claiming that the glory holes would reduce stress, contribute to diversification, and unleash (laughs) potential for improved participation in the community or sorry, in the university life of queer students. It adds that quote kink could be performed at the university and claims to access to sexual activity could act a potential stress reducer for students. By the way, that's a terrible paragraph. It says reduce stress at the beginning and end of the paragraph editor get on that sex can be a relaxing activity which can be very useful in the often exhausting everyday university life the associated stress reduction would ensure a more positive working atmosphere on campus would it because every time people have sex with each other it creates a more positive environment especially when it's a bunch of uh horny early 20 somethings or te- late teens The application argues that the installation of glory holes would also help queer students, quote unquote, feel safer at university as glory holes are a non heteronormative practice. The construction of the glory holes allows the university to understand itself as a heteronormative critical space. Oh, sorry. As a heteronormativity critical space, since cake is to be understood as a non-heteronormative practice, the application reads, this clear queer positioning would unleash potential for improved participation in the university life of queer students and thus increase their everyday life, the sense of security, and the well-being of those same. William, Mm -hmm. I am going to take the heteronormative approach here. I don't know if you want to hit that drop. But let's let's take the heteronormative approach here. Mm-hmm. Who uses glory holes but bad people? And what I mean by that is, isn't a glory hole evasion of reality where you are evading who is going to be touching your sexualized organ?
0: And I have that I, I as know? with most kinks, I do not understand them except for as like some sort of like psychological study. I don't understand this at all. This is not... I, I I. don't think... Like, I know this is a gay thing, meaning, like, there are gay people who enjoy glory holes. And, and like, you know, uh, cruising, right? That's a whole, like, thing. What's cruising? Uh, is that like where, where you, you
1: jerk off the Tom Cruise?
0: Uh, yeah, actually. No, it's, like, certain spots in a park, right, where you can walk by and just hook up with random people, right? Um... We my
1: look. I could be completely wrong with my heteronormative approach here, but to me that seems like a remnant of when you had to be in the closet when you were gay. Yeah, and it was think... the idea of sexualizing something as it's it's taboo and you have to hide it. So this is the way that you could experience it. So then that became how you could be turned on.
0: Yeah, yeah. This this is a sexual sacrament of the queer religion. The the these certain things that I think. I think you're right, Justin. It's like, in some way, we know some kinks could be caused by trauma and repression. This has to be, this doesn't have to be. This, in many cases, is exactly that. And yeah, it harkens back to a day where uh, this stuff was really repressed, right? I, now, I'm okay with saying it has to be. That's my heteronormative approach. Yeah. How is it healthy to not know who is touching you? I don't know. And this gets to the you know that that famous uh, Peacock uh, quote that sex is not the wriggling of meat. Um, this divorces the physical from the spiritual, right? Um, yes. And 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 so think about what that means by them asking that. If if this was a stress reducer for you, okay, sex is a stress reducer for you for people. But this would not be sex, not in that way, right? Not in the healthy way that is the spiritual connection between people, right? Um, yeah, I, this isn't necessarily even, like, can you imagine, there, I love the irony of the specifications, right, like, of what a good glory hole should be. It should be sound, sure, all these things. Like, are there going to be guards or, like, doormen to keep people safe? Are there going to be uh, you don't think this is going to attract like like is this going to attract well-respected queer thought leaders in the university? Or is this going to attract the most depraved individuals?
1: Well, I think you raise a good point with the safety, because when you say the most depraved individuals, I don't even think people looking to get their rocks off, so to speak, as the colloquialism goes, is the only concern. I think we live in an age of social media. And digital technology. What's stopping somebody from camping out or putting a hidden camera to either gather the footage for their own enjoyment or gather the footage to release of someone online? And then what's stopping somebody from, if there are no guards, hiding in there to harm someone? Yeah. You could either wait till someone comes in and then ambush them from behind, or you could wait till somebody inserts and then harm them that way. I mean, this is like the perfect way for Lorraine to Bobbitt to commit a crime, is it not? Yeah, yeah. For an old school reference, I I think you raise an excellent point. And, and that's what my point about bad people is. These are people who are endangering themselves, as you said, spiritually, psychologically, because... Just with the Techno Optimist Manifesto, is this not purely pragmatic? The idea of, oh, we need to relieve stress, so we're going to use sex to relieve stress. Sex does not relieve stress simply because you have sex. Oh, I want to relieve stress, so I'm going to have sex. It's the same idea with working out. Imagine if you only worked out to relieve stress. It wouldn't work because it would be pragmatic and you're not engaging with the activity in the proper way to properly execute it you have to actually want to work out you have to want to run you have to want to lift weights and and experience that then you will get the stress relief because part of the stress release william is i don't want to call it the evasion but it's the ability to healthily and productively put your mind towards something else productive that's not causing you stress Mm mm-hmm
0: Yeah. I think the other thing, Justin, we talk about the collective identity, what it means, what people say and what they mean by queer. We've always talked about it being a political thing, but I think this is a a clear illustration that it's connected to a moral thing as well, right? In order to be queer, this, you must do these things. This is like a sacrament, right? We've talked, talked about the, the, uh, sort of social justice religion glory holes it's the new uh a new confession booth right yeah like you're telling i i predict if they set this up the people will be measuring how queer they are by how often they visit that right like this is this is a this this is the equivalent of the uh medieval monks and the flagellation right this is not good right This is this is hurting yourself on purpose. And that this I can't think of a better illustration of why uh, of why this queer religion is so bad for people who are gay.
1: Well, and that's my question for you is you are working from the premise that this is something that would be popular amongst social justice or the queer religion or however you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. Is that something you believe strongly? You don't just believe these are some weirdo college kids who either think this is funny or they just want an excuse to engage in their kink.
0: I mean, we know that uh, woke or joke had to be retired because the uh, line is blurred here. However, this is a hundred percent consistent with queer theory that this idea that kink is somehow holy and that, uh, and that all kinks are good kinks and that you should encourage people to, you should, um, that all kink is gay, right? All kink is queer, right? That was in the, in the quote. So, so you're anything, if you, if you're vanilla, you're automatically heteronormative and therefore evil right and so it's it's sort of this uh, this inversion, right this inversion of anything that is healthy is automatically evil any any right. he- healthy social interaction is automatically evil. So if it is a if it is a only a farce, only a uh, a a plant uh, then it's a good one because it is exactly the application of their ideas. If it's yes. just misguided students, Who's the one misguiding them? It's the it's this whole queer theory, uh, um, all the queer theory departments. Right. This is completely consistent with their ideas. So I think it's false dichotomy, bro, is my answer.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a great response, because really what you're getting at is the equivocation of the word queer with a dismissive, simplistic approach to straight people, as if straight people only have sex in missionary And nothing (laughs) else. And it's just boring and and uninteresting. And the idea that queer is associated with homosexual or deviant. Yeah. Where queer just used to mean like, oh, he's a little queer. Like he acts differently.
0: And it's the divorce. It's the replacement of the spirituality that becomes from the connection of two people during sex, which both straight people and gay people can enjoy in healthy relationships. It's divorcing that. And then having this the spiritual experience be replaced with this uh i don't know this this social justice religion right like that's what's supposed to replace you this victim mentality mentality and it's driving a wedge between people right like it's it's saying like look at the let the, the, the straight people they can't experience the spirituality that we can because we have these kinks right and those are holy right. And it's like, no, that's your, you've, you've denied the, the actual reality of what sex is and how it's a, you know, an essential part of human flourishing. And you've divorced that, right? You've, you've fallen into this collectivist and amoral trap and, and you threw the baby out with the bathwater, right? You're saying, because I don't want straight sex, uh, therefore straight sex is evil. And it's like, no, the, in this case, and we've talked about it before, in this case, the sex is sex whether it's heterosexual or homosexual and it has you know actual for humans that has an actual psychological and spiritual component and you're just throwing that out and throwing out that it's the same between uh no matter you know who the uh what no matter what your uh sexual orientation is
1: yeah and, and i think it's funny that it took this long for me to realize we're talking about glory holes and you keep saying that this is holy I know that's not intentional, but <laughs> well, I, didn't I say the glory hole was holy. Well, it is. It's a holy sacrament for them. That's true. It is. in more ways than one. Maybe this is the holy sacrament edition. It isn't because there's other farce here. And I think the, the, the driving a wedge between people is something that is a effect of all of this Social justice, religion. And, you know, we've we've talked about it before when we've talked about the uh, interpersonal hostility that is created between people. But I think we're seeing it much more often now. And I saw a pair of stories this week that are similar. So we're going to start in Europe again here. And this is the first one. Italian mother wins court case against 40-something sons who refused to fly the nest a stupid headline but a 75-year-old Italian woman from the northern city of Pavia has just won a lawsuit against her adult sons aged 40 and 42 for overstaying their welcome in the family home The quote unquote children refused to move out while their mother was doing all the cooking and cleaning at her own expense. The women eventually grew so tired of the situation that she decided to sue her two sons, especially as both have jobs but apparently refused to help out with household chores or expenses, according to an Italian news agency. The court sided with her, with Judge Simona Caterbi issuing an eviction order against the women's two sons. While parents have an obligation to provide maintenance to their children, I don't know what that means. I assume that's some sort of European law. This was no longer justified because the two quote-unquote kids were now over 40, the judge ruled. Here's the thing, William. I actually think, in this instance, this is a case where the American story I'm about to read is worse. And as I just said with the last story, usually we can look at Europe or look at... Germany or England and say where we could be but to me the American story out of Seattle is so much worse because this is like this has to do with Italian culture and the way it's very matriarchal in the family and how connected the family is and how much they baby their children and that that's similar to us with millennials and how none of them want to fly the coop and they all think oh it's so much harder to buy a house now than it was back then and all these issues so I don't think these issues are that farcical. I mean, it is unhealthy and and messed up, but if we look at the American story, I actually think it's much more farcical. So a Seattle homeowner living out of a van while his deadbeat tenant listed his house on Airbnb will have to wait at least four months for an eviction hearing due to a severe court backlog. So what we have here, William is entitlements. We have digital social media culture and then we have government bureaucracy all wrapped in one here the owner is named roth that's his last name barely considers himself a landlord he bought his house in seattle's rainier valley neighborhood in 2016 and fixed it up while renting rooms to friends it was always affordable rooms available he said adding that even during the pandemic his tenants paid him or often paid him early it was always a positive experience that changed this year. Roth, who worked as an aircraft mechanics apprentice, said he started renting out the entire house to make extra money for pilot school. He and his dog Wally moved into a small apartment. But the tenant, who signed a lease in March, now owes about 33000 in back rent plus utilities and late fees, Roth estimates. With mortgage payments and utility bills piling up, Roth City had to cut costs and move out of his apartment and into his van, all while his tenant listed the home's basement living space on Airbnb for nearly 150 a night using a city-approved retail license. Uh, a city spokesperson later told the news station the short-term license was invalid because it was obtained using inaccurate information about ownership of the property. Airbnb eventually removed the listing. Roth said he's tried dozens of times to negotiate with the tenant and set up payment plans. Nothing worked. He finally got a court hearing this week, but the judge granted a continuance. The next available court date wasn't until mid-March, past the end of the original lease. Here's my question, William. Why are the police not involved? And what I mean by that is, if you don't pay your rent over a certain period of time, can't the police come and remove you forcibly? Isn't that a legitimate use, a legitimate function of the police? So in all of this, literally no one's doing what they're supposed to. Everyone's doing the opposite of what they're supposed to.
0: Yeah, I think uh, there there was this push in a lot of states to involve the courts more frequently in evictions. Like I remember back in the day, uh, in Michigan, all it took was proof And then, yeah, then the sheriff would come in and evict people, right? It wasn't, it didn't take months. But, Justin, there's a couple failures going on. The laws are uh, way more in favor of uh, tenants over landlords. That's the first problem. The second problem is, and this is a huge failure, is there's not enough judges, right? We've had, this is all across the, the court system. There aren't enough judges, and we talk often about the essential form, you know, the essential uh, uh, things that government does, right? And Justin, every time there's a budget shortage, what are the first things they co- cut all those essential functions, right? During the pandemic, yeah. what was the first thing to shut down the courts, Yep. right. And if if it, I don't know why it is so, uh, maybe it's a failure of civics. Why it's so common. To think, oh, the police and the fire and the ambulance and the military, those are essential. We have to keep those open even when we're shutting down the government, but not the courts. Do you see where I'm coming from, Justin? Like this should be, yes. if if the police and the military are there, the courts should be there too, right? That should be a 24 by 7 job. It should be, it should be, there should be just as many, uh, there should be uh, 30% of the police force we should have as judges right this should be a more common thing that there should be more judges not less right and because it's such an essential function and it is a proper government function right Uh, and we just we don't allocate to that right public defenders either we don't allocate to that either and so it's a huge the, the 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 u.s court system has been failing for a long time now. And I think this is where you see it. It's going to happen obviously in blue States first, but like this is, this is, this is one huge area where it's happening. Justin, I think just, you know, from my family experience, it's also failing in the family court system as well. There aren't enough judges. They aren't, there aren't enough advocates. Like it's just, it's a mess, right? And most of this mess would be fixed by obviously having better objective laws. Cause then there would be less, uh, Uh, appeals to the court but then also having more judges because you're right this is simple this is simple a simple case that would take an hour in front of a judge with the proper paperwork to make an order right and but it 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 just can't happen in 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 today's uh culture isn't this a huge uh also argument for uh decentralized power right like these, yes. these are district judges that should be easily or advocates that could easily make these decisions. Right. And it just can't happen in this world, in this world of technology.
1: Right. I agree completely with everything you said. It's a, it's a double-edged sword here. There's two issues that are wrong that are causing the problem. We have more court cases because of the irrational culture and we have fewer judges because of all of the issues you just laid out. And yes, It's exactly what I argue all the time, that if we focus more on a local community and local governance, this is an issue that's taken care of, because rather than this person, what's what's his name, Roth, rather than Roth being just a number in the court system, he becomes someone that the community is aware of and wants to help out and wants to have that person's life be good because they would all like the same thing to happen to them in a situation that it does not benefit them and harms them. So they make sure he is taken care of. Instead, we've dehumanized everyone by trying to globalize everything, which adds to the double-edged sword. So maybe it's more like a, a katana or no, a sigh. Maybe it's more Raphael's fault.
0: Uh All
1: right, let's move on to the last bit of farce here. This is something that you shared, William, and I have one question to ask first from a pragmatic standpoint and then there's a more philosophical question to ask here so you put a tweet out from someone named at manga lawyer and it says insomniac writer of spider-man 2 i assume insomniac is the production studio that made the game spider-man 2
0: Yep, the one that just came out yeah
1: when did the first of all this isn't even the question when
0: did the first game come out wasn't it years ago like over a decade I mean, the first Spider-Man game probably came out, yeah, in the 80s, I would guess, but... uh No, but, I meant the first PlayStation one. Oh, the first... Because I remember when oh, it came geez. out, and
1: it was a big deal, and it was based on Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, but then... So, uh, there's been lots of Spider-Man games on the PlayStation, so this is... I think I would have to pull up a Wikipedia timeline.
1: Well, that's why it's confusing that it's called Spider-Man 2. Do you understand how confused I yeah. get when the kids are talking about Spider-Man 2 the game? I'm like, is this an adaptation of Spider-Man 2 starring Tobey Maguire? Is this a sequel to a previous Spider-Man game? It's all very confusing. Which kind of adds to what I'm saying here, cuz here's my question. There's a picture here of one of the writers of the game and a picture of Mary Jane Watson from the game. And the argument here is Based on pictures, it's an argument based on pictures and a caption. Since I know some people out there say pictures can't be an argument. The caption says, all conclusions and arguments directed to notice patterns are reserved for Twitter users and under no circumstances. I'm claiming this is a self insert. It's an enthymeme here where he is implying that it's a self insert. William, do you think this is actually a self insert? The reason I am asking is not only would the writer have to request this but then the programmers would have to go along with this wouldn't they
0: yes and yes you know we've talked about this connects to the theme i think we talked about uh, last episode or the episode before um about the uglification of female characters in particular but of all characters in general in, in video games and justin i'm not saying the writer is ugly that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying she's not as pretty as Mary, as Mary Jane is, right? The idealized Mary Jane, right? If you if you have the ability to create a character that can be look like anything, right? Including fantastical elements or completely romanticized elements. And you're dealing in a in a universe where Mary Jane is 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 beautiful and uh but down to earth, right? She's the the girl next door, right? I, the woman on the left, the writer is not not that. She's fine, but she's not that. But then you take all of her features and you naturalize them and then put them in the video game as Mary Jane. Yeah, this is a self-insert. This is how this is done in the video game industry. Right? And we've talked about before there's this there's whole classes that they take at gaming conferences about making the characters uh, more representational, i.e. more ugly. And this is this is absolutely the consequence of this. So everyone was wondering why Mary Jing looked so weird, right? This wasn't any—at uh, least it wasn't an erasure of a redhead, right? For once, but people were like, "Why does she look so weird?" They probably captured her face and used that to to create this. Justin, I mean, we'll we'll post the link, of course, uh, in in the show notes. But this is her and. Justin, this is super common in the comics book books industry is the other thing I have to mention in modern comics, the ones that nobody reads, not the independent comics, right? Um, the ones that nobody reads. A lot of the main characters are just self inserts for the author. They, 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 their naturalism leads them to this thing where they, they, and their narcissism to just put themselves as someone with a superpower, with usually a pretty lame superpower, right? I remember, I don't remember the name of it, but there was this whole comic that was like, Um, I was the, this, this, this chick, the main character is this chick who's this fat goth styled sort of living under the shadow of her mother, who's a superhero and she has powers. And you look at the picture of the author and her next to each other. And besides the goth, they're both the same fat chick with the same eyebrows, hair, eyes, everything. It's clearly a self insert. Even the attitude of the writer matches the attitude of the writer. Oh, sorry, the attitude of the main character matches the attitude of the writer that you see through interviews and stuff like that. Justin, I think this is another just stark uh example of the rampant narcissism um from uh, from these kinds of writers like like justin did you is the main character of the cut uh just a self insert right? is the Snyder insert. (laughs) Yeah. But you, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like is the, uh, is, uh, uh, I don't know, pick a, pick another author is, uh, is, uh, is any great writing is the uh, Odysseus (laughs) or the Iliad, just the, the, just an insert of Homer, right? Like whatever character you want to bring up, like it's, it, I am uncomfortable
1: with your use of the word insert over and over again when we just talked uh, about, glory holes. about glory
0: holes. Yeah, well, that is a self-insert, right? They did self-insert.
1: I um, think you're raising a great point. I think what you're hitting on, though, is I think it's the combination of naturalism with the technique of self-insert. Because there's a couple of things I have an issue with here, and you've hit on one of them. The other is, very briefly... And it will lead into going back to what you're talking about. Is it the, the greater issue here that this was done over an already established iconic character? Because you're talking about two things. You're talking about, one, this self-insert in this video game as making herself Mary Jane Watson. And then you're talking about people who are naturalistically inserting themselves as the main characters that they're creating in stories. I think it's worse and more narcissistic to do it for an already created character. At least if you're writing stupid fan fiction of yourself, you're creating a new story and you're not saying, oh, we're going to take over this story that already exists. I mean, this is the argument famously Michelle Rodriguez made about why do minorities keep trying to take over stories that already exist and not create their own? At least they're creating their own. However, I think what you're talking about is, The issue with self-insertion is it can't be naturalistic. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, yeah, Sean Ryder in The Cut wasn't a self-insert because I am not that person existing in that context and going through that conflict. There's no way I ever would have been in that situation. So to do that wouldn't have been a way to tell that story. However, would I tell the story if there were not elements of that character I admired and er- elements of that character that were reflective of myself. So I think all good writing, in a way, is a self insert. It's just how are you self inserting and how naturalistically are you doing it? Are you so narcissistic <clears throat> that your self insert is just this is me exactly who I am? Yeah. Or are you, do you have a healthy self esteem in the sense that? you want to share the things that you think are great about reality which will also be how you interact with reality what's your experience what's your experience with reality and i think that's the the interesting part when people start talking about representation where other voices are valuable in that way if they're writing it in a romantic way it's mm-hmm. not simply oh let's make this character queer and that's representative it's oh let's tell this philosophical approach to reality what values and what view of reality do i want to share in my story do you see the mm-hmm. difference i'm getting at here
0: yeah yeah well i just want to say before uh, people jump in into discord and tell me how wrong i am the the game developers claim that that's uh who's the actress um i'm sorry my kirsten dunce uh, stephanie tyler jones am i getting that?
1: I, I don't even know who that is. Who's Stephanie Tyler Jones? Stephanie Tyler Jones. Spider-Man 2.
0: Yep, look it up and tell me that that's Stephanie Tyler Jones. Because you had asked me, oh, would they make that character on purpose, the writer, instead of, you know... And apparently there's an Instagram post where she's talking about reprising the role. Now, maybe she was just the voice actress and not the one that they used as the model, but... How do you get from that actress if you Google Stephanie Tyler Jones to yeah, that her ugly... face
1: isn't as wide, and I'm yeah. not calling this writer fat because I don't think this is writer no no, writer is again, I'm not saying way. this
0: I'm not saying the real life person is ugly. I'm saying the character model' is ugly, but I'm saying it's ugly, right? It's ugly well, I think the,
1: I think the character model is ugly in the context of romanticism. And yes. what I mean by yes. that is, If you're going to romanticize someone, that's not, you don't make them look average. So by comparison, an average looking person, which by all accounts this writer is, although the picture they show of her, she's not wearing any makeup. It looks like her hair hasn't been combed. So who knows what, if she put in a little bit of effort, she could look like and how good she could look. But she just looks like a normal average, honestly, Midwestern person in this picture. And when you translate that to art, which should celebrate, especially the heroine who the hero loves, it's ugly.
0: Yep. So, uh, so yeah, so, this is, uh, this is a great example of the decline of comics book, comic books in general, but it's really an example of that uglification that I was talking about a couple weeks ago.
1: Well, right, and, the, and what I said at the beginning, the, <laughs> the number of people who are complicit in this. Imagine, imagine all the people who had to participate in the execution of this character design and sign off of the execution of this character design.
0: Yeah. That's uh, that's mind blowing to me. It is. It's it's terrifying.
1: Alright, well, speaking of terrifying things, we have other art to discuss. Let's do it in the Hopeful Romantic with JML. Put
0: me into syndication, broadcast to a network station of people viewing their favorite episodes. I can't
1: find a new pitch to throw. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. In that channel, you can share farce with us you'd like us to discuss. You can give us feedback on what you did here. Maybe you think we are improperly witnessing the farce. Or you can watch the trailers before we talk about them. I usually put them in there the Saturday before we record. If you just go to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode link in there, you will find the discord join code. Go ahead, join. We'd love to hear from you. I, cause I was at the wedding and in the Bahamas was unable to watch a movie. I, I plan on seeing five nights at Freddy's soon, but William is going to uh, review the new Mission Impossible film, which did you watch it
0: on Paramount Plus, William? I did not. I bought it on Apple TV. Oh, so, okay. uh, yeah, it, but I bought if it because I, I thought Plus, I would like is it. it. Fr- is it free on Paramount Plus? I don't know. I did watch on Paramount Plus uh, the South Park movie. So I didn't buy that one because I couldn't buy it. So I went to Paramount Plus for that. But what I, I does buying know look on like Plus. on Apple TV? uh what do you mean like is it housed in the... the app yeah yeah it's in the in the in the apple tv app there's a movies uh um button so you, you didn't really it, buy it, you, you bought won. access to it until they decide to revoke access maybe yeah that's the well, that's because, the issue right, the itunes library app, though it's, so it's the app it's,
1: if apple tv goes away you still keep the film
0: yeah yeah i have a oh, download okay. of it but okay. I guess there there could be some way that they could revoke the right to it. You know what I mean? Like if I lost my Apple yeah. account, I would lose it. But uh, yeah, it's mine. So to take own.
1: that and put that on an external hard drive where they can't touch it.
0: Yeah, it still would need the key though. So yeah, I could save the copy, but I wouldn't have the key. So yeah, you're right. It could it could it could go away. All right, so sorry, uh, I'll,
1: get, I'll get off my
0: uh, get off your high ahead. horse. I, I some of us don't have. Uh, a, a giant place to put all of our, uh, Blu-rays, you know, but, uh, well, so mission California. impossible dead reckoning part one, of course, starring the stud, Tom Cruise, um, Haley Atwell and a bunch of other folks, um, d- directed by, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, which, uh, I don't know what other things he's done, but here's the, if you remember from trailer takedown, Justin, this felt a little bit like, uh, you, you had characterized it as, uh, reality doesn't matter sort of thing, right? Like questioning Yeah, it's like reality. a post-truth society. A post-truth society, yeah. But, um, what, uh, without getting into any uh, major spoilers, uh, the plot starts out with a nice introductory action sequence where, uh, you're on a submarine, a Russian submarine, who seems like they're testing something new, and, um, uh... They start fighting uh, a submarine that turns out to be a phantom submarine that apparently the AI that they were testing um, uh, caused, and then the submarine ends up firing a torpedo that turns around and sinks itself. Okay, So that's the intro, and then we find out that there's this um, exchange going to happen for a key, the the MacGuffin, we always got to have the MacGuffin, and uh, uh, there's a bunch of good action sequences, and without getting into the spoilers um there is a satisfying ending but this is clearly a part one and um uh there are characters who uh there are characters who we begin to question um what their true motives are um and there are characters that uh won't be in part two so i'll just put it that way uh the highlight Interrupt
1: for a second before you continue Christopher McQuarrie, Uh, he's mainly directed a few of the Mission Impossible movies. However, he has written The Usual Suspects, Edge of Tomorrow, Jack Reacher, and notably Top Gun Maverick. So he is a frequent collaborator with Tom Cruise.
0: Cool. So overall, I would say that this movie has... A lot of great action. The, um, the the last set piece involving a uh, motorcycle and p- uh, parachuting after driving off of a mountain on a motorcycle is super exciting. And in typical Tom Cruise faction, it's a stunt they stunt they did with practical effects, and he did it uh, himself. And so it's it looks really good, um, and is quite exciting. There's <clears throat> a couple of good twists in it. Nothing that you can't really pick up on there's nothing that's that that are, isn't really going to necessarily surprise you if you pay attention um, i will say justin though our fears about the theme being um sort of anti-reality aren't really apparent what it is 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 mainly a story about um technology and people being um affected by technology and what i mean by that is the entity that they're fighting um, is a sort of a sentient AI and it's threatened by uh, it is I'm trying to do this without saying any spoilers it is predicting people's actions and um, and using that to respond and sort of prepare for every eventuality what kind of undoes it with uh, maybe a, a slight minor spoiler is that it's it's not able to see everything everywhere. And and, and and the the conceit here is that it can only affect digital devices. It can affect analog devices. And so there's a little bit of conceit there. But um, overall, it sounds I,
1: sort of like Winter Soldier. Where remember, the MacGuffin in Winter Soldier was a device that could see all people in the world who were associated with a certain belief system, and they were worried Hydra, the the Nazis were going to use that to exterminate basically all the non-Hydra people?
0: Well, I didn't see winter soldier, but I do remember that. So I think I saw part of it while sleeping on a plane, but, uh, yeah.
1: How do you see something while sleeping? Bah!
0: (laughs) With your eyes open, sleep with your eyes open. So overall, I would say this movie is worth seeing. Um, it's looked and sounded great on my, uh, as, uh, uh, one of my friend's mother says around sound, my around sound, on my giant OLED screen. Um, I kind of wish I had seen it in theaters now that I saw it uh, here, because I think some of the sequences are just breathtaking. And it's kind of like the the Top Gun movie, uh, Top Gun Maverick, right? It's one of those ones where um, it's definitely a film going experience. Um, it's not uh, it's not uh, uh, a what's our highest rating? Uh, it's not the highest. So rating romantic. Yet so, so romantic. Romantic. it's definitely not that but it's it's definitely the one under that so it's uh, It's a bro. It bro
1: so it's a bro I, so it's the middle rating middle I, rating I,
0: no i think it's bromantic i think it's romantic interesting i interesting. i think it, it could ruin it in in part two and just come down to a bro i think that it leaves enough tantalizing um interesting things to do well
1: the movie will stand on its own even if the sequel fails the first yeah. matrix is still an amazing movie even if the the third one is it's
0: not it's not nonsense. as philosophical, but the character, I think that the, the chemistry between the characters and you even see one of the um, one of the characters make a gr- the, the, several of the sort of enemy characters. I don't want to say evil in this case, several of the enemy characters grow through the through the movie. And I think that's that's really interesting for an action movie, right? Yeah. They're not just character cardboard cutouts. That's why I'm giving it the slightly higher rating. Justin, you okay. might give it a bro, but uh I think it it's peeking into uh into into that one. So that's my take on it. I say you should go see it. Well, in this case, uh go see it in your living room. It's definitely worth a uh worth a view if you haven't seen it already.
1: Well I already know now the two things I learned in this episode. So why don't we roll right into the trailers? As always, I post them in discord. As I said, usually the Saturday before we record. That's so you can watch them when you want. Maybe you watch them before the episode. Maybe you watch them after you listen to the episode, or maybe you watch an episode or watch a trailer. We talk about it. Watch a trailer. We talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. The killer is a netflix movie directed by david fincher starring ah crap i can't remember the guy's name i can picture him right now he plays the second magneto the younger magneto he was in 300 fassbender what's his name yeah michael fassbender as a killer and it seems to be more philosophical it's it it seems to be what you would expect from a david fincher picture and that's the deal The deal is, if I hear good things about it, it's something I would be willing to watch. If I don't, I wouldn't watch it because I like Gone Girl. I'm not a big fan of Fight Club, but I see how it's the same director. So I don't know. This is, I think I will be generous with this one, and because of that in-between status, I will call this a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug.
0: Man, I don't know about this one. I think I'm on the border as well, but it seems—I'm worried that it's going to be kind of glorifying some of the violence in, in a certain way that I might not be comfortable with. All that being said, it looks really interesting. It looks visually interesting. It looks like something that would keep my attention. I think it's worth a watch, just based on this trailer, so that, by definition, is a hug. Hug? Second trailer Freud's last session stars
1: Anthony Hopkins as Sigmund Freud and the guy who played it. I can't remember. His name. Oh, Billy Good, who played Ozymandias and Watchmen as C.S. Lewis. And I guess they debate the existence of God or Freud is treating C.S. Lewis as his last patient I don't know. Movies are visual. Who thought it would be interesting to make a movie about Sigmund Freud and call it Freud's Last Session as if that's some sort of epic thing? And there's supposed to be some sort of gravitas to it because Anthony Hopkins is playing him? Everything about this shouts that Hollywood has reached the end of these biopictures. There is no way this is going to be good. There is no way I would see this movie. Tackle.
0: Ugh. Tackle. I almost fell asleep while watching this preview. Tackle.
1: Tackle. By the way, it's Matthew Good, not Billy Good. I misspoke. Matthew Good. <laughs> Johnny B Good? Johnny Third B Good trailer. Lisa Frankenstein is a I don't know if it's a horror comedy. It, it rem- this movie reminds me very much of Edward Scissorhands in where there is a weird gothic type character that this weird high school girl latches onto and has a interesting relationship with this person. And it's really about how she interacts with the world. It's written by Diablo Cody, who's known for the movie, Jennifer's body and the movie with, um, pre Elliot Rogers or pre Elliot page. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> how about that confusion, William? Wow. What is that, How does that tell you where I associate all those people in my brain, right? Yeah. Um, f- Pre-Elliot Page, Ellen Page, Juno. She wrote Juno as well. So, look, Diablo Cody's a good writer. She's high concept. Uh, this looks very, very interesting to me. Uh, this looks like something that could be pretty good. The, the teenage girl falls in love with a Frankenstein-type character and brings him to life. And then... She lives that relationship. And like I said, it, it seems to be in the vein of Edward Hands And the way it's directed visually and cinematographically, art design looks interesting to me. This is one that, especially in February, where there's not a lot out. I think this could be interesting and I'm willing to give it a chance. Hug. Hug.
0: Yeah, is this a goth romantic comedy horror? Like, it seems like it's sort of it's not 100% clear in the preview if if you're taking this more seriously or if this is more comedic, but it's definitely one of those... I mean, it's obvious what this is meant to do. This is supposed to be a, a chick movie, right? I mean, this is... I don't know. It, it looks interesting, but I don't think this is something I would rush out to the theater and see. Um, like you said, uh, The Month of My Birth is not known for its great uh, 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 movie releases, but... This might be, if you go watch this uh, in February, this might be uh, something that I would watch. So I think that counts as a Netflix and Hug.
1: Netflix and Hug. Final trailer. Under the Boardwalk is an animated movie about crabs starring Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah is an agoraphobic crab. Sort of, this is sort of like, what's that wallflower movie called? What's that? Tales of the Wallflower. What's that called? secrets of being a wallflower perks, no perks of being a wallflower. Yeah. This is sort of like perks of being a, a barnacle type deal for crabs. Uh, it, the, the animation is very vivid in a way that reminded me of Rio. Not that I've ever seen Rio or Madagascar. And then I assume a hurricane comes in or some sort of a wave and the crabs are pushed on shore and Michael Sarah freaks out. However, his romantic interest is also there. Here's the deal. When this trailer started, I was kind of interested, William, because I was like, oh, this is like a Michael Sarah type animated movie. Like, if you're going to make an animated movie voiced by the guy who, where the protagonist is voiced by the guy who played Scott Pilgrim, this is the sort of approach you would take. And it's Crabs, which the only really famous animated crab is Sebastian. So there's a lot to like here. But as this went on, it became more and more sort of cliche and uninteresting, where. There was nothing creative or humorous about it to keep me hooked. So it started out as a hug and it became a tackle. Tackle.
0: Yeah. When I first saw this at the beginning, I was like, are they doing like a West side story thing? And then it just got just so, like you said, so cliched. The animation isn't terrible. It's a a little simplistic, but it's not, that makes it not particularly visually interesting. I mean, it's very colorful. Um, but Justin, I, I mentioned to you uh, in the pre-show, this movie, they, they hadn't released a trailer for it. It was supposed to uh, come out, I guess, originally um, in, uh, in July. And then they replaced, they replaced it with Pause of Fury. Uh, Paramount did. And they've been holding on to this forever, and then all Wasn't of a sudden micro Sarah movie. I don't remember. Um, but they released it they released this trailer on Wednesday, that's when you saw it. and then the movie's already out now, and it's going to be out on demand on November 7th. So this this movie they must not have this it must have either had really terrible test screenings or something, right? Because like why do that to a movie? Um, is it possible yeah. that they
1: made a contract that it, there had to release certain movies in theaters and they really want to drive traffic to Paramount, Paramount Plus? Plus. So they're be. going through the motions of putting it in theaters, but really want... Because the trailer is branded with Paramount Plus. I wouldn't have even thought it was going to be in theaters.
0: Yeah, but this is a Nickelodeon uh, production, you know? So Interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, I don't think... I this could what i'm what all i'm saying is justin this could be a terrible preview as well right yes so uh all that being said much like you it looked kind of dumb so uh i don't know what they're trying to do with the marketing but apparently they're trying not to market it so this is a tackle
1: tackle that brings us to the end of this trip what did we learn william
0: well, uh, I learned that I need to make a trip to, where was it? What university? The one you can't pronounce? Uh, to uh, regain my, my queerness. Uh, that's uh, where I can go and be cleansed and, and take the Holy Sacrament of Glory Holes. Maybe Justin. the next DEFCON can be there. <laughs> yeah, can be out there in sort of Vegas. Uh, Justin, what did you learn this trip?
1: So the two things I learned are, one, you are more lenient with your movie reviews than I am. And two, the director of the new Mission Impossible also directed Top Gun Maverick and wrote... No, he didn't direct Top Gun Maverick. I'm sorry. Now I'm confused. There's a connection between Tron, Legacy... Oh no, I know what it is. The director of Top Gun Maverick, who isn't the writer of Top Gun Maverick, the writer of Top Gun Maverick directed the new Mission Impossible. This is how I got here. IMDB. So the director of Top Gun Maverick also directed the... Tron reboot sequel, the requel Tron legacy. So that's interesting. I've Uh, never seen that. Maybe that makes me more likely to see it, especially because they're going to be doing another Tron sequel. So we'll see how that goes. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening. If it wasn't for you, this would be me just being crazy, talking in the corner of my closet, like a crazy person. Obviously, I still am that, but it's more than that. If you want to support me going insane, you can do so by going to midside.com slash store, buying some merch, the midside.com slash the cut, buy my book, the midside.com slash Patreon, or the midside.com slash locals. That is how we keep the lights on. Or you can tell a female friend. Don't use a glory hole. Use a telephone. Tell a female friend. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emazeski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a beautiful
0: day. All right, figured out what the phone call was. Apparently, the music stopped playing in the store. It was critical that I turn it back on. (laughs) We're playing 70s. Yeah, I can. We're playing 70s music, and the customers love it. Interesting.